I want to thank Pastor Matthew for preaching last week and Pastor Andrea for that and Pastor Candice before that. Pastor Matthew brought us back into our sermon series on the book of Acts and we'll be in there for a little while and then we'll take a break again. This is how we're kind of rolling with it. Um, but today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 again. He started that last week, but we're going to be in a, the next part of Acts chapter 8 as Barbara already read. But we're going to begin today's sermon in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. And these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus has been has been uh, sharing about the signs of the end and what are the signs of the end. And Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 reads in this way. This good news, some of your Bibles will say gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. What's the good news, the gospel? It's the, the truth that, that Jesus came to this earth, perfect, lived the perfect life, died for our sins, was resurrected and is now preparing a place for us in heaven. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed, will be preached, will be told in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. How do you, how do we typically envision this happening? How do we envision this happening? This, this mass proclamation of the gospel. If you were part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, the Seventh-day Adventist community in the late 1800s, you would potentially say through the mass distribution of our literature, we had so many papers that we were publishing. And in fact, Ellen White wrote this statement, you might be familiar with it, that we should spread out our papers, our literature, like the leaves of autumn. So if you were living in that time, you might say, well, well, we've got to massively distribute our literature. That's how we're going to have this gospel preached to all the nations so that the end will come. Adventists in the early 1900s, and then of course it carried on, and still carries on in some hearts and minds to this day, would see this text being fulfilled in the massive proclamation of the word through massive evangelistic meetings. In fact, in 1916, the Adventist church saw an event as a breakthrough of the gospel being preached in a new and dynamic way in all the world. A.G. Daniels, who was then the general conference president, the general conference is the body just down the road from us that, that gives direction and instruction and helps support the local churches uh, throughout the world. But A.G. Daniels was then the general conference president and he was in Portland, Maine, Portland, Maine in 1916. And he was holding some meetings there. And here's what A.G. Daniels said in the Adventist Review, what was then known as the Review and Herald. Personally, I felt that if 500 persons came to hear us, I should feel encouraged. But the Review reported on night number one of what was to be a three-night public evangelistic initiative, 2,000 people showed up, which led the editors of the Adventist Review to note this was nearly twice as many persons as the best evangelists were accustomed to seeing. It was noted that most of these persons were strangers whom we had never met before. The rest of the meetings garnered similar attendance. So Daniels, after attending to some business down here in Tacoma Park, 
agreed to return to Portland, Maine for eight more nights of meetings. And the review reported that there were 3,000 in attendance each night with 1,000 more having to be turned away from these meetings. And Daniel said this, the time has fully come for a greater work to be done for the masses in our cities than we have yet seen. Large halls need to be filled with people anxious to hear God's message. The promise of a new era to the cause in Maine must be a promise to a new era to the cause of God throughout the world. A new era being these massive halls being filled for evangelistic meetings. We produce magazines and pamphlets and, and tracts to spread like the lead of Sodom's in mass. And now he was adding to that, that that there should be this public evangelism done in mass around the world. And that carried on. If you were alive in the 1940s, you may remember this. And if not, you still probably remember the individual that, that carried it forward. In, the night, in January of 1942, a man by the name of HMS Richards broadcast the first coast-to-coast -coast radio program on 89 stations around the U.S. It was the first broadcast of the Voice of Prophecy. From there, many Adventists around the world set up radio stations and the message of Jesus soon coming spread far and wide through the mass distribution of the gospel over the radio airwaves. So now you had literature and now you had mass public evangelism and now you had the mass distribution through the radio airwaves and, and they didn't have to wait long because as things go, things always develop quickly as they go through and, and people didn't have to wait long because in 1950, there was this man by the name of William Fagel and his wife, Virginia Fagel, who started this ministry called Faith for Today and in 1950, they broadcast the first truly national religious telecast in North America. That happened in 1950. In 1956, It Is Written was founded with George Vandeman, and they were the first religious program to be broadcast in color. Man, we were on the cutting edge. And of course, other things began to spring up. Shortly after that, right in our own backyard, Amazing Facts began with Joe Cruz, and, and ministries just began to grow, or these, these television ministries began to grow. So now you had the mass distribution through literature and you had the mass distribution through public evangelism and you had the mass distribution through the radio airways and you had the mass distribution through television. And, and then there was kind of like a still spot for a while, those things kept going on, but, but there was not really a lot of new development until the 1990s when this thing that we have heard of before and we've been familiar with, satellites, began to impact religion. And you might remember in 1995, a guy by the name of Mark Finley, who was a member of this church for nine years, Mark Finley and some others got together and they started the Net Evangelism series. And we had Net 95, Net 96, and Net 98. Net 96 and Net 98 were seminal in my life. Net 96, because I had, when I accepted Jesus, I said, there's two things I will never do. I will never try to convince anybody to be a Seventh-day Adventist, and I will never mention Ellen White. And uh, then I went to these meetings, and I said, this is what we believe. This is pretty awesome in Net 96. That's awesome. And then, of course, Net 98 had a whole other impact on me in a, in a spiritually deep way that just changed, uh, touched my heart and continued to grow me. But Net 98 alone, it's estimated between 30 and 40,000 people were baptized worldwide into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
net literature, I mean, mass literature distribution, mass evangelistic meetings, mass uh, uh, radio distribution, mass television distribution, and now the message going out in mass through satellite. And if you were to ask me today, I would tell you that we need to invest in a massive way, in a significant way, in the mass distribution of the message of Jesus and is soon coming through YouTube and social media and all other things beyond. Mass, 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 all these things in mass. But the only problem with mass distribution of literature, of mass, mass evangelism meetings, massive evangelism meetings, massive distribution over the radio or television or through satellite or through all the other various media avenues we have nowadays, is it is easy to think these are the ways, the singular ways in which Jesus envisions us reaching the ends of the earth. And this gospel shall be proclaimed in all nations throughout the world, and then the end shall come. And when we think of mass, 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 we have the danger of seeing that as others' responsibility, and we might neglect our individual role. And our individual role is what we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse, in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. And I know that Barbara already read it, but I'm going to read it again because uh, it's never too many times that you hear the word of the Lord. We should read it over and over and over again. Acts chapter eight, beginning in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So, and by the way, that word so is one of the most important words in the whole sermon today. So you might wanna pay attention to that little two-letter word. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Kansas, of Candace, queen of, Ethiop of the o Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. So Philip ran up to it. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I understand, the Ethiopian said. Uh, if, unless someone guides me. So he invited him, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led, this is from Isaiah 53, verses seven and eight. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from this earth? The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, it, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself? or someone else. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Went on his way rejoicing. Here's what I want you to know about this text. This text is, provides a miniature foreshadowing of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8. You remember Acts chapter 1-8? We read it a long time ago. Acts chapter 1-8, the disciples were asking Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And he tells them, 
Don't worry about it. Here's what you need to worry about. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, locally, in Judea, a little bit further out, in Samaria, a little bit further out, and to the ends of the earth. And Acts chapter 1a is fulfilled, or there's a foreshadow of the fulfillment in this story with the eunuch in Ethiopia. You might not have realized that, but let me explain what I mean. You see, back in that day and age, the Greek language, the way it was encompassed, Ethiopia represented the ends of the earth. It represented the ends of the earth. Ethiopia was one of the primary places that was envisioned when people spoke of the ends of the earth. Now, now we think of Ethiopia present day, uh, in present day Africa, Ethiopia is in the horn of Africa, if you have, have been there. But the Greek term for Ethiopia, which is what Luke would have been writing about, was speaking of basically Africa south of Egypt. Now think of this, Jerusalem reached in mass. The stories that we've read so far in the book of Acts are these stories of, of mass campaigns. Judea also reached in mass. Samaria somewhat reached in mass. But, but, but now we come to the ends of the earth. And how did Jesus decide to describe how the ends of the earth were reached? By one person talking to one person. That's how the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed throughout the earth and then the end shall come. When we read Acts 1, 8 or Matthew 24, 14, do we get stuck imagining that this is some, gonna be some mass event? I mean, I think about the times that, that I heard people talk about like, how is every eye gonna see? And I remember someone saying, is it gonna be on you know, Fox News or is it gonna be on CNN? How is every eye going to see? I mean, we, we, we shouldn't, let's, let's not try to put God into our box of, of our technology. We can get stuck with that. We can also get stuck thinking that, that it has to be some mass thing, but we can also get stuck thinking that, that the ends of the earth are only gonna be reached by someone who, with bigger events and someone who's bigger than me, maybe an A.G. Daniels or an H.M.S. Richards or a George Vandeman or a Doug Bassler or a Dwight Nelson or a David Asherick. But what about us? What about just you and me? Not in mass, but just wherever Jesus calls us to go to reach the one. The one that may represent in your world and in the heart of Jesus, the ends of the earth. The coworker of yours that may represent the ends of the earth. The, the neighbor of yours that, that may represent the ends of the earth. The, the person you have yet to speak to, that Jesus is one day going to tell you, go talk to that person that represents the ends of the earth. So what did it take for Joseph to be this, this foreshadowing of fulfillment of reaching the ends of the earth. It took three things, and I'm gonna tell you those three things and then I'll be done. I went longer with the profession of faith, so, so we're not gonna keep you here too long. Obedience, that's the first thing that, that, that helped Philip reach the ends of the earth. And there are, in fact, two points of obedience in this text. The first is in verses 26 and 27. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. Ellen White wrote, he did not question the call. Philip did not question the call, nor did he hesitate to obey. He just went. Go south, he went. The second point of obedience, just immediately after that. So he got up and went 
There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And again, note Philip's response. So Philip ran to him. I love that word so in this text. So is a reminder of our, of our grammar. So is a conjunction. So is a conjunction with the result being. It means with the result being. So this happens, so, and here is the result. God says something, so we obey. Philip, go south. So he went south. Philip, go to the chariot. So he ran to the chariot. He ran to the chariot. Sometimes we make obedience complicated. God said this, but, but does he mean this? Or what if I can't do this? Or, or God, I need to do this first. God didn't say, go south so that you can change the world in Africa. God just said, go south. So he went. God said, go run up to that chariot because you are going to, to impact a person who has influence on many more beyond what you can imagine. No, God just said, go to the chariot. So he went to the chariot. We, we can make obedience complicated, but, but, but really God says, so what should be the result? We do. That's, and that's clearly in this book. That's the first way, obedience. Philip reached the ends of the earth because he obeyed, because he obeyed. The second thing Philip did to reach the ends of the earth, he used scripture. Look at what it says here in verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go, join that chariot. So Philip ran to the chariot. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And then we read the passage that the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? And then what does it tell us? It tells us that then Philip, and I like the, this translation, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with that scripture, with this scripture. Why is that important? Because Philip doesn't use his, his sophistry or his wisdom or his, or his fine intellect or, or even better, he doesn't use his opinions or, or the culture of the world. He just starts with the word of God. There's a spiritual question. How should I answer a spiritual question? How about use the word of God? The word of God. Not your ways or my ways or the culture's ways, the ways of scripture. You know, it's scripture that has, God uses scripture to, to transform hearts, to turn people from sinners into, into saints. We love Isaiah, I mean, we love Psalm 51. I love Psalm 51. Do you love, are you a sinner like me and you love Psalm 51? I love Psalm 51. If you don't remember what Psalm 51 is, let me remind you. It's David, massive sinner, saying, God created me a clean heart. I'm a mess. Restore a right spirit within me. And when I read the story of David and then I read that text, I always, I mean, I get chills right now just thinking about it because I just, oh, I could tear up right now just because I think about how awesome it is that God forgives us. But then Isaiah 51, 13, that we never even 
even kind of think about because we get so caught up in the forgiveness, which I love, and that should motivate us and challenge us and change us. But, but Isaiah 51 and verse 13, here's David's response. Oh, you've given me this new heart and you, you've, you've, you've restored to me the joy of your salvation. Ah, oh, how wonderful this is. And David says, here's what I'm gonna do. I will teach transgressors your ways. So, and there's another so again, so that sinners will turn back to you. Oh man, oh, I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna teach them your ways. Well, what are your ways? The word of God, that's, that's God's ways. Not, not my opinion, not the culture's thoughts on, 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 on all things. The word of God is God's ways. I'm gonna teach people your ways so that, what happens when we teach people God's ways so that they turn back to God. Sinners become saints. You're not going to find sainthood, folks, by trying to think it out yourself. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. How did Philip reach the ends of the earth? He, he obeyed. He opened Jesus' book. And then he did absolutely the most important thing. Philip opened his mouth beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. About Jesus. I was once having lunch with Elizabeth Talbot, Pastor Elizabeth Talbot. And I asked her, I said, hey, give me some pointers on preaching. She's a good preacher. And I said, Elizabeth, give me some, give me some pointers on preaching. She gave me a lot of good pointers, but, but the best pointer she gave me was this. She said, Chad, in all of scripture, Find your way to Jesus. Chad, in all of scripture, find your way to Jesus. Beginning with this scripture, beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. Three ways to reach the ends of the earth. Obey, answer spiritual questions with a spiritual book. And always find your way back to Jesus. You know, we, we live in a time, y'all. We live in a time. We are getting near and near to Jesus' second coming. Our world is growing darker and darker. There was a time, and some of you remember this time, there was a time in history when, when we could go out and we could share our truths, we could share things, and, and know that people had a basic knowledge of Jesus, and even a basic affection and affinity for Jesus. We can't assume that anymore. More and more people are like this Ethiopian saying, who is this talking about? Who, who, is this talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? John chapter one tells us that Jesus came into this world. Darkness tried to overcome it, but it could not overcome the light. Jesus is the only light that overcomes the darkness. The Bible tells us that as the days grow long, that people's heart will become more and more cold. People will become more and more dark. How then do we overcome that darkness? How then do we make hearts warm that are cold? Only through pointing people to Jesus. We can't assume anymore that people have an understanding of Jesus. So if we're going to go out and talk about the Sabbath, then talk about how the Sabbath reminds us that our perfect rest is in Jesus Christ. 
If you're going to go out and talk about what, what happens when someone dies, make sure you tell someone that, that though their loved one sleeps, when they wake up, the next thing they will see is the face of Jesus. And if you're going to talk about the sanctuary doctrine, if you figured out all the math, 1844 and 2300 days and 490 years. If you figured out all that math, make sure you don't show off your math skills and forget to tell them. The whole point of it is that you have an intercessor in Christ Jesus. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And though, G though Satan stands at our right hand accusing us, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah tells us, though he stands at our right hand accusing us, Jesus says to him, shut your mouth because I covered him in the robe of righteousness. Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And when we talk about the end times, and by the way, I've had a lot of conversations about the end times lately. A lot of conversations. Do you think this is the end times? Is this president the end time? Is this Pope the end time? Make sure, folks, that we don't teach people to fall in love with the signs and forget to fall in love with Jesus. If you watch for the signs, and are not watching for Jesus, there is no hope. There is no hope. Beginning with this scripture, he told them about Jesus. Chad, just make sure you always find your way back to Jesus. You know what? There's many of you that will never mass distribute literature. Even more of you that will never hold a massive evangelistic campaign. There are many of you that will not speak over the massive air, radio airwaves or over the television airwaves or, or hold an evangelistic satellite campaign in which 30 to 40,000 people are baptized in mass. Most of us will not reach anybody through massive distribution on the internet which is why I'm glad there's a story of the Ethiopian that reminds us that reaching the ends of the earth is about obeying Jesus, sharing scripture, and using that scripture to point people to Jesus. Amen. And then the end shall come. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace for, to us, for, for reminding us that it's not just about the big wigs or the mass that need to be reached, but it's about the one. And what you can do with that one, like you did with the eunuch, is beyond our power, is beyond our concern. Lord, help us to be faithful, to obey, to answer people by the word of God and the word of God alone, and to always remind them that your book points them back to Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to be part of spreading the message and may you come soon.